Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Aaron Keller in his office, mm-hmm. which is very wildernessy. <laughs> <laughs> and we have waterfowl staff specialist, Russell Wollstenhume. She did um, it. She got it right. I got it right. <laughs> and you didn't agree. You didn't think this was that wildernessy, but it's very Nevada-esque. I was just trying to figure out if this is if that's a word, wildernessy. <laughs> I add a ey to everything and make it a word. So okay, right. in my book, it is a word. That's all um, we need. Russell, great to have you. Um, we, we have a lot going on to talk about. Our podcast is going to touch on several things, but yeah, um, we thought, what a good time because it's a busy it's, time of year. It's always good to be here on with you guys. I, I, as you know, I love doing these. So. And we do. We always have lots to talk about. So we do. And um, well, first up, it is Dove season opener. By it, the time this airs to the public, it will have opened. Right. Right. So September 1st is the standard opener for doves. Uh, it's also the standard opener for forest grouse, which includes the dusky and the sooty grouse, the formerly the blue grouse, um, rough grouse, snowcock. So the what we deem the forest grouse that all opened the same day, September 1st, is doves. So here we go. Here we are. The season begins. Yes. <laughs> Let it this all is, begin. This is, they say it's at Christmas time, but truly <laughs> hunting season is the greatest time of the year. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Here yeah. in this building and I'm sure at our other locations around the state, this is Christmas. This, this is. <laughs> so what should um, hunters who are interested in hunting dove, anything specific they should be aware of? Um, you know, dove is, it's, there's a lot of dove. It's one of the most hunted species in the nation. There's, there's 46 of the 50 states that hunt doves. And, um, the, we're in the Western management unit, they call it for, as far as management purposes. Uh, the count this year was around 76 million. There's there's a lot of, there's a lot of doves. You know, the, the only thing that, that, that sometimes plays a factor but it doesn't look like with the current heat wave we have going on it will impact sometimes right before the dove hunt we'll get a bit of a cold snap mm-hmm. i wish and, and then the doves yeah <laughs> and then the doves tend to flood out of here but with the current temperatures we should have lots of dove out there um you know i've i've seen there's some recruitment i couldn't tell you to what level at this point in time but i know that they were out there nesting so there's recruitment so there should be a, a good number of doves uh, I see them when I'm out and about in all the usual places. So should be should be a good hunt season for them. I always – we've had you on talking about dove. I think we do it pretty much every year. But um, every time when you say it's – I forget dove is a hunted species <laughs> until yep. we have you on next year. I'll forget again because <laughs> yeah, no, it I'm always not, surprises me. And like I said, it's one of the largest um, hunted n- number-wise, harvest-wise, and number of participants nationally it's one of the biggest hunted most hunted species we have why do you think that is just because it's there's so many of them yeah there's a lot of them it, you know it's fun it's early it's before pretty much before all the other hunts start so by this time of year you know i mean guys have been have been like dreaming about when the hunts start again and and so 
this is the first thing that you can hunt the first season of the year are doves so mm-hmm. it's like let's go out let's let's you know let's get some shooting time in we can get ready for the other seasons that are coming up by getting some shooting time and get out there with the kids i i took my son out last year for his first ever dove hunt which is one of the best experiences i've ever had it was just there were just doves everywhere they're just, they're just flying at us from all directions and he shot almost two boxes of shells in an afternoon of dove hunting (laughs) (laughs) and shot one dove, which uh, we were on a management area. So in Nevada, you do not need need non-toxic shot for doves unless you're on a wildlife management area. We were on an area, so we were shooting still shot. And that poor little dove, I mean, it was a hard hit. Feathers flew everywhere. But the the steel so hard it tends to blow right through the birds especially those small ones and it it flew away and, and i'm sure it was sad i'm sure i'm sure it probably succumbed somewhere but nowhere where we could find it and pick it up it flew so far off but yeah but anyway it was a great hunt for him you know and we got through and he's like dad that was a lot of fun and it was really that that amount of shooting yeah because as a young hunter he hasn't shot a ton at, at live game you mm-hmm. know so it's a great experience in that regard, but it's just fun to go out and, and hunt doves. The season goes for for 60 days. Goes That's from, good to know. goes from September 1st until October 30th. Okay. Kind of that fall season. Yeah. Nice way to spend the fall, my favorite right. time of year. And, and a, lot of, a lot of times there's doves. That night when my son was really late in the season, a lot of times people go out for the opener and then kind of don't go again. But those doves, as long as it's still warm, those doves are around. And you know something to go out and and uh, pick up a hunt here and there. So yeah, a good starter hunt too. If you haven't gone hunting before, well, yes, yes, and no. It's it's good because they're easy to find and it's easy to they're easy to go out and hunt, but they're hard to hit. They're hard to shoot. Mm -hmm. Doves, everything in the in the dove and pigeon family, they have. They're trying to avoid all the all the raptors that eat them hawks and falcons and so they can fly fast and dart quickly and so that can be hard to hit so yeah. that mean, makes <laughs> sense then aaron's yeah. like yes yeah, <laughs> yeah they, are. they they dive and dart and and it's it's hard to you know you make a lot of a lot of gun movement to try to <laughs> try to yeah depending on where you're hunting them they can be challenging going through you know trees mm. or right right yeah. what makes a good dove spot would you say, like um, if somebody's scouting? Yeah. So, so what I look for are places where there's, there's, um, a good a good seed source. Yeah. Um. There's and water. So those are the two things that that they need. Roost sites. They can fly. They can fly quite a ways for roost sites. So that's not as important. Um. Although if there's fence lines, power lines, you know, places for them to to rest in between their their rounds of feeding, but you know, I've seen I've, some of the best dove hunting I, I ever was on in Nevada was was uh, the BLM had been out and mowed a fire strip out through oh. the sagebrush, the middle of a big sagebrush flat. But by clearing all that and beating down all the all the plants, they knocked a lot of seeds off, and the doves just flocked to it. And hmm. you, you just walk the fire line, and doves would pop up every few feet. Yeah, so you know, sense. so yeah, any anywhere you know, there's there's a good good food source and water got it well anything else that was one thing our on our agenda to talk about today so anything else dove related 
you want to mention before we move on? Uh, you know, nothing specific. It's just, you know, it's just a, a great hunt. It's a lot of fun, and it's a great opportunity this time of year when there's not much else to hunt. Get out there and, and enjoy yeah. it. And you said you were out in the field, and you were seeing a l quite a few dove, right? Yeah. Th this summer, I've seen quite a few out. And then we do we do dove banding, and so we banded nearly 400 doves this year. And so in that banding process, we're aging them. So we're seeing a fair number of juveniles in that group that we banded so mm -hmm. it, you do that every year banding doves yes that's that's part of our management program um the the banding numbers go into our our modeling process to help us determine how many doves we have so yeah we do that every year as part of a, a national banding effort and for those who don't know what banding is, you basically capture the doves, stick a little band on them. Right, a, a, a little metal leg band that goes on their leg. It's a it's a federal band, and any any birds that we band, the federal band is what goes on them. So, and then if hunters harvest those, it's the, it's the greatest citizen science project that's ever been undertaken in this country. If hunters shoot a banded bird, there's you can go on a uh, webpage and you can enter your information and it will tell you where that dove was banded, the location it was captured and banded, the age that it, of the year that it was banded, and who banded it. So some cool information for the hunter, but also the researchers that banded them get the data back as well. All exactly. that on a tiny little ring. Right, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and that's huge for, uh, for researchers and agencies like us who are trying right. to learn more about our population. And, and I understand that hunters like them as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet. So speaking of banding, these dove bands we just mentioned, that's one of many banding projects we do. Right. We, we do a lot of banding for a lot of species. So we start off every year with, with the dove banding. That starts the earliest in the year. Uh, this year, for the first time ever in Nevada, I went out and we captured band-tailed pigeons, which are another native member of the dove and pigeon family. Uh, they're not, even though they're called pigeons, they're not like your park pigeons. They're, they're a wild bird. They're large, the largest pigeon slash dove species in, in North America. Oh, wow. They're a really big pigeon, um, and they, they're incredible looking. They're, they're kind of slate gray, but on the back of their neck, there's a big green, iridescent green nape and a white line that goes around they're called band-tailed pigeons on the base of their tail there's a big wide light gray band on the on the dark gray body color so beautiful bird a lot of fun but for the first time ever in fact when i banded them this year and i i turned that information into the national bird banding lab and when i sent that data to them they emailed me back and they said we just want to verify that you actually banded band-tailed <laughs> pigeons because it's never been reported in Nevada before. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, no, they, here's a picture. They were band-tailed pigeons. So uh, we're, we're hoping that in the future we can do a, a, a bigger, more intense study. So this year I was just kind of like, you know, dipping my toe in the pool, so to speak, and seeing how difficult they would be to trap and testing some trap design. So hmm. And so how many did you, were you able to band? How many were you able to band? Well, uh, the whopping number of 16. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that that was over, that was four days of banding effort. Huh. So short days, like yeah. a couple hours each. So 
So I, I had a, an individual who had a bunch of them that came into a backyard feeder. So it was right right here in, in town. Yeah. And so I went in their backyard and set up my trap and, and baited them in. And, and he banded some and I banded some. And it was it was kind of a cool project. I'd never banded band-tailed pigeons. They're, they're yeah. a pretty cool bird. And, and huntable in, in most states that have them. But in Nevada, we don't have a season for them. And right then band-tailed, will they migrate? Yes, they're yeah. they're migratory like like the other dove and pigeon species. Um, we seem to have them kind of year round here. Our winters aren't that severe, so they tend to be here year round. But a lot of them will come over and and breed on the Nevada side of the Sierra Nevadas, and then go back over the Sierras to winter on the other side. In the valley, it looks yeah. like in the valley. So, but they they tend to be they they their habitat is pine trees. So they, they're largely on the Sierras themselves and other. We, we get them in the Pine Nuts range. Right. Um, we do get them in southern Nevada and the Mount Charleston area. We get them there, but they tend to, to you know, pinion pine and the, and the pine trees of, of the Tahoe Basin and stuff is what they really prefer. They eat a lot of nuts and berries in the summertime. So Interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask what inspired this, but it sounds like it just kind of happened because you knew someone who was having them in their backyard. And well, I've been look I've been looking for a while. Um, I've been thinking about them. They're, the state's been working on their their state wildlife action plan, and band-tailed pigeons will be on that list. Oh, at, cool! In that in that plan for the first time, I'm just we're on the edge. There's two populations: a Pacific population, and an interior state population and we're on the edge of both of those so we have the ones down by mount charleston are a different subpopulation than the ones over here in reno so kind of a just something to get into and see if see if we can't get to a place where you know perhaps we can have a future hunt on them but i, I need to get a grip on on where their population's at in the state before we go there. And this will help 16 more banded than were before. That's so right. there we go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Well, that's pretty cool to hear about. And we have more to get into with our biologists on, I consider you all thing, all things birds, our expert on all things um, huntable birds, game, game birds. Game birds, yes. <laughs> so we will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we're talking with waterfowl staff specialist Russell Wollstenhume. And before the break, we were talking about all the different banding projects we have going on across the state, including um, we talked about band-tailed pigeons, but it doesn't stop there. Um, right. Traditionally, we've always done waterfowl banding. Waterfowl banding, yeah. And that's that's our, our biggest effort that we do. Um, last year, we banded right around 1,700 birds statewide. So this year, the, tra the trapping and banding is going on again. Uh, most of our efforts take place out at Stillwater Refuge. We also have efforts going on at some of our wildlife management areas, including Mason Valley and Overton down south, Kirch down south. So trying to expand that operation and, and, and getting it, you know, 
a, a larger deal in the state, but but most of us thought it's still water. It's going on this year. We've we've I've got a crew out there that's been banding all summer and will continue to band up until they have to stop 10 days before the earliest waterfowl season, and that's because they're baiting. We use baited traps, and we don't want to inadvertently put a hunter over bait, which would be a, against the law. So that's why we stopped 10 days before, so there's time for all that bait to, to be consumed. Got it. And then we're not we're not putting anyone in jeopardy there. So it's it's um, kind of a cool process. We, we put up swim in. They ca- we call them cloverleaf traps. They're kind of shaped like a, a three-leaf clover is why. And we, we bait them with corn, and the ducks come in. Mostly mallards is what we're targeting. Um, again, we're, we're banding those birds for, for our management um, models. So that data goes into the model to help, help us determine where we are. So that's the focus is mallards because in, in our flyway, the Pacific flyway, which Nevada is part of, everything, all ducks are based off of mallards. So whatever whatever the tr- determination is for hundability of mallards, that applies to to all the ducks. So right now we're in what what they call a liberal season, which gives us the longest season length. So that's okay. kind of why kind of why we're doing that and what what the point is. And Nevada has a big goal. We have the statewide goal is four thousand mallards banded, and that's all banding entities. That includes well the operations that Endow does as well as the refuges and and there's there's a qu- quite a bit of banding going on with them our goal for for Endow itself the goal that I've that I've established for myself is 40% of the statewide goal so 1600 hmm. okay how so, are you are you feeling confident um you know I'm not sure where we're going to get the the banders have had it's always a tricky thing that the traps are set up in, in about 12 to 18 inches of water. But because marsh management's going on, water levels rise and fall. Mm-hmm. So you will you have to pre-bait. You bait for a, a week to two weeks before you can even set the trap up to get the ducks used to coming into it. And in that time, and then when you get a trap set up, the water can, can be up another foot or it can completely be gone. And you're sitting in a mud flat. So <laughs> there's always a little <laughs> bit of jockeying trying to keep up yeah. with with the water flows to get it going, but they've been doing a good job out there. We've got a good crew, and the last count I heard, they were right around a thousand so far for the for the year. So, so hopefully we'll make the the goal of sixteen hundred. They've got three more weeks to go. So, right, yeah. and then they so they're targeting mallards, but everything that gets trapped they banned. Is that right? Yeah, ducks. Any any duck in the trap gets banded. Uh-huh. That's that's our rule. That's just we have them. There's no. No reason not to mark them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll, a lot of ducks won't go into the traps. None of the divers really go in there um, other than we get ruddy ducks in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year they've banded some pintails. They've banded some redheads. So, you know, occasionally we get other things in there, but mostly it's mallards. Hmm. Got it. Yeah, I'm excited because I'm going to try and go out one day into the field with you for the yeah, next couple yeah. of weeks. Hopefully it's always fun it's to always, go and it's see. It's always fun to get out there and, and tromp around in the marshes and handle some ducks. And, you know, it makes you feel like you're making a difference. Right. Especially when it's really warm out. Yeah, that's not my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, I, <was> <laughs> I got to be honest with you. That's the one thing you. I'm not looking for. <laughs> hopefully hot. it cools down. I'm planning to go yeah, the last yeah, week of the project. A couple of weeks. So hopefully <laughs> yeah. it's starting to cool a little bit. We're out of this heat so. wave. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I feel for my banders on these days when it's this warm, but they 
they start really early in the day trying to, to stay ahead of the heat. So for the most part, they it goes pretty well for them. So. Is this something you take volunteers for? So on a normal year, I take volunteers. We'll, we have a lot of volunteers that go out with us. Um, it's a little bit complicated sometimes because we don't we don't need a huge group of volunteers, but two or three we can manage. Um, but most of the time, volunteers aren't really readily available during the week, Got which it. is when when I can go out and get volunteers out there. My banders work on the weekends, but it's a little harder to coordinate through them to go out on on the weekend. But mm-hmm. it is possible. Um, this year, we're not taking volunteers, and the reason why we're not is because. Um, continentally, we're we're going through a really bad outbreak of high pathogenic avian influenza. So, waterfowl always have low pathogenic, and that means how transmittable it is to other to other animals. Low path isn't a problem; it's always there. High path is is a problem because it it spreads really easily mm-hmm. amongst the duck population. Everybody's, you know, everybody's on edge when you start talking about a, vi- a new virus after mm-hmm. after the whole COVID thing. But the waterfowl are experiencing that. We recently, uh, we'd been kind of avoiding it for a while, but mostly I think we avoided it because just it was a lack of detection. So now we've been doing some sampling while my duck banding's going on, and we're getting a lot of a lot of positives back. So we have it here. Um, it is transmittable to people. And other mammals, uh, there's been a handful of predator species like foxes, um, even seals out uh, out in the ocean, and skunk and things that either feed on or catch and, and eat birds or scavenge them and, and eat you know dead ones they find. It's been transmitted to a to a number of different mammals. Um, it, in humans, it doesn't seem to be. You can get sick. It isn't. It's not a. It's not a COVID situation. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it can be a serious issue if you have other health problems going on. So we're just, just to be safe, we're just not taking volunteers out this year. Um, hmm. is there anything people should be aware of if they're out hunting or just out in general? Outside? Yeah, there's, you know, there's some general guidelines for hunters going out. Um, we talked about the doves earlier and doves, are, they're not very susceptible. They're not really in the right place. It's mostly related to water birds. So doves really aren't there. They They've done research and they've tested them and they have it, but even the ones that a very small number, less than 1% even had it, and those ones that had it, it was at such low levels, the infection, that that they weren't even going to spread it to anything else. So Mm -hmm. that's not a concern. But with waterfowl, yeah, especially, I mean, they have it. Ducks carry it, but they don't seem to get sick from it. They just carry it and spread it around. General rule of thumb for all wildlife, but especially right now with this with this influenza going on, is if you see a bird that's sick or acting sick, probably don't harvest that one, um, and don't certainly you know if if it's acting if you see a sick bird, don't go pick it up and you know and look at it and handle it because that's just not a, a good idea. Um, when you're field dressing your birds, you should wear gloves. Um, you should be careful not to not to um, do like go into a closed area like a shed or something where there's not good airflow. You should do it out. Wear gloves. Process your birds outside where there's lots of lots of fresh air around you. You're not you're not breathing it in. Try to avoid fluids on them. Um, you want to make sure that 
after you've handled birds in the field that you're not eating or drinking or smoking or you know, anything to put your hands around your face. You know, don't don't touch your face. Don't you know, rub your eye or something. If your if your hands aren't clean, um, once you come in from the field and you're through processing your birds, make sure you wash your hands with soap and water really well. I mean, this is all really similar stuff with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of us are really used to these processes. Um, even after you've worn gloves to process them, throw those gloves away and and wash your hands well. Wash any tools, knives, implements, anything you use to process them, and then make sure that you um, cook the the meat thoroughly up to 165 degrees Fahrenheit internal temperature. Mm-hmm. So, and you do that, you, things are you're gonna be pretty safe with it all. Um, okay. It's, I've I've been out handling the ducks this summer, uh, and a lot of ducks and. Me and so far my banders don't nobody's had a problem, you know. Then yeah, knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for that. So you know, we just don't want anyone to get sick. So just those general precautionary rules. Just you know, just be mindful and be safe. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mentioned other mammals have have gotten it. I am unaware of any dogs that have gotten I it so far. I was going to ask that. Right. That's what so was going on in my right. mind right so, now. Yeah. So hunters always ask, "Is my dog going to get this?" I don't know. It's possible. So my my recommendations for your dogs is they're probably going to be pretty good if they're just retrieving them. Don't let your dogs gnaw on dead birds or bird carcasses. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the biggest guideline I can give you there. Is just mm-hmm. you know get the bird back, and when you're through processing, I know some guys that'll they'll throw, you know they'll they'll breast out the the duck and get the meat off that they're going to, and then they they let their dog gnaw on them for a bit. Just mm-hmm. that sort of thing's just not a good idea with their fluid interchange between your dog and the bird okay lots of good information for hunters and um is there so with waterfowl it's different though because can you actually even see the symptoms in them it sounds like they mainly just are the spreaders but yeah well you so ducks are mostly the spreaders um geese especially snow geese tend to be they what they call clinical where you see signs outward signs of of sickness so things you're looking for that if you see a bird that looks like this, their eyes tend to get puffy. Um, they tend to get uh, what we call stargazing, which is their heads flop back so they're looking up at the sky. Okay. So, which differs from like we get a lot. We get botulism sometimes. The botulism they can't hold their head up and their head falls forward into the water. Mm-hmm. So with this, it's more of a, their head like just kind of flops back on and they're looking up at the sky with it. But the puffy eyes and that um, a duck that has a lot of of discoloration around their vent so uh, and those are technical biological terms poopy butt <laughs> so <laughs> so you know i know i was like what what is this but i, I right. understand poopy butt yeah so. poopy butt <laughs> if they got poopy butt you know then then that's that's one of the clinical signs of it but but yeah some of the other waterfowl species that we hunt geese in particular are a lot more susceptible hmm. okay good to know but overall um, it sounds like people need to be cautious, but is this going to impact um, hunting in any way or hunting I, I don't think that hunting? it will. Um, the only impacts that my, something else, um, just backtrack a little bit on the guidelines. So if anyone goes out and hunts waterfowl and they have domestic birds at home. Oh, that's a really Poultry, ducks, geese, chickens, you know, parrots in the house, whatever. Y- you want to make sure there's a good... Um, separation there so if you have boots that you're wearing out into the field when you come back home don't wear those around your other animals 
and and you can actually disinfect them. You can use like pine saw as a good disinfectant. You can use um, pine saw. You can use straight uh, bleach. You can use a 10% bleach solution. You know, make sure you knock the mud and dirt off of them a little bit, and then and then sterilize them before you wear those. Take them anywhere where your your domestic birds might be, because this is really hard on domestic birds. There have been the last count I saw, which was over a month and a half ago, there's been over close to 30 million domestic birds have been put down because of this hmm. this flu that's going through. Got it. Really so good information for people to have it. And you're going to be sending me some stuff to add to our yeah. website. Yeah, I'm work. I'm working on it so we can get it on the website yeah. so that and our no rush, media, no so. rush. I'm just announcing it to <laughs> so everyone right now. <laughs> so that so that people can see it. Now I'm on the spot. Now <laughs> yeah. I have to do it. Well, I'm starting. <laughs> Well, um, Russell, I feel we're already out of town. Ta- I can't talk right now. We're already out of time. But thankfully. we're just getting started. We got, <laughs> That's we how got I more felt. To, we got more to say. Well, and I, I was going to ask you about water conditions and duck hunting and stuff like that, but I think maybe we'll just try to record another podcast and cover all that. All right, because there's, yeah. thi- there's things there too. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to talk about still. So yep. this isn't over. We're gonna we're gonna talk to you. It's again. a glimpse into the <laughs> end our office is pretty much how this goes. Is we talk about one thing and then you go to the next thing and right. Yep. So stay tuned for more podcasts with Russell and we'll also have other Upland Game podcasts in the near future. Thank you so much as always, Russell. Always always happy us. to be here. And thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.